One of the greatest qualities that I think a practitioner should have is indifference to many things, to our own cultivation, to our own skill, to outcomes and things like this. Because all of those things really goes back to that difference between cause and effect once again, that any excitement you have or ego or which we all have, it's all grabbed us at some point, is all focusing on the effect. And that's not our job, the outcome or the effect. None of that's our job. None of that's our role. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. 
Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. This is a follow up to the discussion that Damo and I had just a couple of days after our first conversation. It's inspired by some of the lingering questions that I had from our first talk. And so I'm including this part two follow up discussion with the release of the first conversation so that you can follow the thread of our inquiry. I hope that you'll enjoy our further meanderings. Let's get into it. Damo Mitchell, welcome back to Geological. Hello again, sir. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been like a couple of days. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for having me back, Michael. Thank you for coming back. You know, after that last conversation, as is so often the case, I think about, well, what about this and what about that? And then these other sort of very annoying questions arise. (laughs) So it's great to be able to come back and have another go at some of it. I emailed you or texted you or one of those. I can't even tell how we communicate these days. We just communicate with our device in our hand. There were some questions that came up for me about simplicity and also some more about cultivating attention. There's something very evocative about like cultivating attention. That sounds really simple. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, wait a minute, what are we actually talking about? Yeah, okay. It's stupid. It, it should be so simple, right? It should be, if human beings, as we, if we could function to a high level, we should be able to just pay attention. But no, it's, it is really difficult. It's a very long and involved process to try to change. I think for me to change, to understand that it's not an action, it's a quality. And that for me was one of the hardest things to get my head around and to comprehend within these arts, especially coming from something like martial arts. But I think you could also apply it to medicine as well, Chinese medicine, that you're often learning a technique, aren't you, or a method. You're learning to do this and you have to do this better and correct this technique and work on this for 20 hours. And you're building something you're doing, whereas to pay attention is there is no technique. It's purely a quality. That's all it is. It's a quality that's there in you. So the reason it becomes difficult is because any action you do or any attempt to do attention means you're not really paying attention. Yes, exactly. That's where the great difficulty comes from, right? Yes. So does this very quickly take us into that whole way away? Does that take us very quickly into not doing? Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, the causative chain, I mean, Chinese arts are always about causative chains, aren't they? Very much. You can see that in Chinese medicine, can't you? Something has invaded the body or something has done this, which invades this channel, which then causes this pathogen to build or whatever. It's, it's a very causation-based culture, I think, Eastern culture. And you see it the same within meditative arts as well. And Wu Wei is the causative factor that leads to Zuran, which is the biggest quality for attention to me. So by none governing or none doing or none intending or none action then everything should naturally self-regulate would be how i would see the quality of attention so if i can sustain the quality of attention 
then that should lead to a high degree of self-regulation that should move you closer towards health, well-being, spiritual enlightenment. Depends what tradition you're coming from, I guess, would be how I see it. What do you think, Michael? Tell me your opinion. Well, I hear you talk about Uwe. I've had those moments in life. I think we've all had them. Mm -hmm. You're in kind of a flow. Maybe you're playing sports. Maybe you're playing music, making love. You're just cooking. You get lucky and the light comes in the window just the right way and you're like, ah, right? And you're in this flow and there it is. Everything is as it is. It's perfectly fine. Some moments with no complaints, right? Not a whole lot of comment, just doing what you're doing. And I can think of a moment many, many years ago. It was springtime. I was in college. I was in a little cafe. And it was one of those moments. The light comes in in a certain way, and it's like, ah, this. And yep. yes, indeed, there was a quality about that moment. And it wasn't about trying to do something. Of course, I've got all my plans and things I need to do and desires and blah, blah, blah. That can take a back seat in the midst of being soaked into that kind of a moment. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. I'm going to call it one of the koans of practicing medicine as I see it. Okay. We spend all this time learning to do things. As you say, there is a causative chain. I think that's not just Eastern culture, that's Western culture, that's the scientific method. I, that might be human beings trying to make sure we don't die in the next 10 minutes. Like, how are things working so that we can stay alive and we can get what we want? That may just be built in, I don't know. But for sure in medicine, we're learning to do things. We're learning to see patterns that we've not been able to see before, right? Chinese medicine is a whole different pattern language. Yes. And we're learning to apply that. And it's our job to do something to help our patients. And fair enough. It's part of the tacit agreement of medicine. At the same time, sometimes we can be the very best at what we do. And I don't want to get all fruity sounding, but it's like when medicine is doing us, yeah, I get what you mean. I don't think that sounds fruity. I've heard fruitier. Yeah. Then we're out of the way. Then some kind of some kind of natural unfolding can happen. But it's difficult. At least for me, it's difficult because, and as we were talking last time, simplicity. We were talking at the end of the conversation. Simplicity. You do like more with less. I was talking about having fewer herbs in my pharmacy or for that matter, fewer acupuncture points that I use. Sure. Yep. So, yeah, there might be a simplicity, but there also could be laziness. Yes. I know myself. I know my mind. And so there's that tricky thing of, am I being lazy or am I being simple? When I think about wei, is it that I'm really soaked into that moment? Or am I just kind of being lazy and like, yeah, well, you know, nature, like whatever. So I got a little trouble with that. Yeah. I could put it this way. How about this then? Maybe say you're thinking about something like, I don't know, acupuncture or body work or something like this. I would see it as, okay, so I've seen the patient and then I've diagnosed the patient and then I have this prescription or this idea or this plan that I'm supposed to be using to treat this person. And maybe I've chosen my points and then I've put my needles in. And so maybe that's the cause. And then the effect would be whether they get better or whether they, they don't, you know, or hopefully not, you make them worse or whatever, but that's the outcome of what you've done. But then there's something that exists in the middle, which to me would be the condition. And the condition is where the non-involvement should be applied. This is probably where I differ a great deal from perhaps how many 
people I've spoken to work is that I believe that the condition in, in this situation is me. I am the condition. My mind is the condition that's applied that's going to dictate whether my treatment works or not. So that's where I try to apply Wu Wei or I try to step back or I simply apply attention. And now this is the joke, right? If you, <laughs> if you have completely new practice, maybe you're completely new, just qualified, totally new, don't know what I'm doing. I've got five points to my repertoire. I know two herbs and somehow people set me out on the public. I've got very little knowledge. And I start working with the needles and I start working with things. Then in order to actually inject a little bit of something into what I'm doing, you almost have to have a little intent. You have to, it's like the mind has to be involved, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have to progress to a stage where then you get better and then you take the mind out of the way and then you take the intention out of the way and then the pure attention arises. And that's really where the sort of, I would say, profound, for want of a better word, results start to arise. So it, it's almost like the attention has to come along with your experience, if you know what I mean. Like when you start, you, you have to be intending, you have to use your intellect. It's something that comes a little bit later. So then your question about laziness, I think that's definitely true. I think clarity as the practitioner is always a very important thing with regards to ourselves, self-scrutiny. And I think that's what really dictates or differentiates a, a better practitioner from a weaker one, perhaps, is whether they can tell themselves, discern the difference between being lazy or, or learning to get down to the sort of essence of it and strip it down to its essentials. It is a difficult thing. But I think for me, laziness in people's thinking in Chinese medicine often arises because they start looking at correlative effects with their diagnosis. They're correlating things with previous cases, aren't they? Or they're correlating things with things they've said before. I think that's often where it comes from. So you see this woman who's come and she's got this condition and this looks a little bit like this other woman that I saw five years ago and I knew what I did with those needles. So I used the same needles or I knew what I did with those herbs. So I do the same herbs. And Essentially, what you're doing is you're just going back through memory and just databasing your cases against previous ones, I would say is one of the main reasons why people get lazy. But I would argue that the aim would be to also take your memory, <laughs> it's going to sound strange, take your memory of prior cases out of the way as well, because you're still not really applying full attention to that case if you have a big backlog of other cases that you've had in your mind. Does that make any sense at all? It totally makes sense. I'm going to say something about that, but I also want to mention that as we're having this conversation, mm -hmm. you know, I call myself lazy in certain places, but I think it's more habituation. Yeah, I think that's a better word. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more habituation because it's, it's not that I'm intending or I want to be lazy. You get in a groove and especially when the groove works, now you're really in trouble because the groove works and so the groove deepens. Yeah. 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 In some ways is helpful. It's like, why do you get a groove? Because, well, that kind of, that worked. Oh, and it worked again. Oh, and it worked again. I know how to take care of that. Talking about the correlation that you just described. See a woman five years ago, woman today, oh, kind of the same. This is the most annoying thing about practicing Chinese medicine. And it's the most delightful thing about practicing Chinese medicine. Someone shows up. If I can show up as a pretty blank but attentive screen, Yep. It's more helpful. At the same time, all that experience that we have, that database that we have, it's also useful, like in its own way, in its own place. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is where some of that Xeron comes in. Sure. Right? Everything in, in its correct place and dosage. 
perhaps it's wise to allow that kind of experiential knowledge we have to slip back into our kind of subconscious though. So it's a little bit out of our mind. So one thing I try to discourage practitioners from doing that I'm talking to who I'm assisting with their development is once you've trained a while, stop looking over old notes. Don't look over old cases. I always advise them to stay away (laughs) from it. Because if you've really worked on that case and you've worked on that patient and you've developed that experience, allow it to filter through to a part of the mind that's not at the front. So you don't actively recall that information while you're doing the treatment. So then you have the best of both worlds because you have your experience in the subconscious, but you're still able to look as a blank slate at the new case. That's kind of how I try to work it, but it might be a little unorthodox, but I think it's better that way because I don't want to be working for 50 years and be carrying through 800,000 cases onto this one and cross-referencing everything. And it also takes away from something that is going to be quite out there for some people, but there is something that happens that is beyond anything logical or anything scientific or anything recordable or anything material when you literally touch upon spirit within a treatment, like something else can arise within a treatment that doesn't follow any logic and doesn't really follow the logic of the needles you used or the herbs you used, or, but just some kind of profound change. And to me, that can only touch upon if you achieve Zoran. And I think for me personally, that's my goal with a treatment. If I can hit that one in a hundred times, I'm happy. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot there with that one, Damo. And I hear this a lot. And I think a lot of us are drawn to the idea of, oh, I'm, I'm doing this medicine that can touch a person's spirit. Mm. We're kind of like shamans, right? Ooh, I've got like a superpower. I've got, I've got a magical thing. I remember as a teenager reading the Carlos Castaneda books. Okay, yeah, yeah, I remember those. Remember those? Yeah, it's like, ooh, you get to be kind of like a medicine character. You get to be a seer, a person who can look below the apparent form of something and see the energy below it and how things work. And I remember being really attracted to that when I was younger. And then getting older, it's like, well, okay, there's a bunch of damn charlatans out there, so be careful. (laughs) And again, back to Chinese medicine and the pattern language that it has, very basic level. To you and me, it's like the ABCs. To someone like one of our patients, Mm -hmm. it's magic. It's like, how did you know that about me? How did you know that when it's cold and damp, my digestion gets worse? How did you know that? Sure, yeah. Right? It's as plain as the tongue in their mouth. So when I think about touching in on the spirit, because when I hear you say that, it rings something true. Yeah. At the same time, I feel like I need to be immensely cautious, in part because my ego would like to jump in and take credit for that. Mm. So what to do about that? Well, one of the greatest qualities that I think a practitioner should have is indifference to many things, to our own cultivation, to our own skill, to outcomes and things like this. Because all of those things really are, goes back to that difference between cause and effect once again, that any excitement you have or ego or, which we all have, you know, it's all grabbed us at some point, is all focusing on the effect. And that's not our job, the outcome or the effect. None of that's our job. None of that's our role. All we're trying to do is work on the causes and the conditions. So any pride I might take should be on how well did I do the causes and then the effects are out of my hands 
that's the mindset that I try to retain as much as anything as a practitioner. I don't always <laughs> do it perfectly, especially when you have a treatment that works really well. But as an ideal, I think that's a healthier one. I've long been indifferent to outcomes on my Qigong practice, my Tai Chi, my meditation, Chinese medicine. It doesn't make any difference to me. You practice long enough until it becomes integrated into what you do, so it's normal. And then once it doesn't hold any exotic flavor or excitement, it's much easier to develop a certain degree of indifference to it, I believe. But not apathy. Right. That's a really big difference, apathy and indifference. And no, I save apathy for politics and the outside world. <laughs> Indifference for everything I care about. That is really helpful. All that crazy stuff in the world, like develop some apathy. <laughs> and all the things that you really care about, develop some indifference. Yep. I'm aware that I'm now sounding like the most negative Chinese medicine practitioner ever. <laughs> I apologize. I'll let you know, I, I should let you know I'm actually quite a positive person. <laughs> everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. There's something really liberating about considering that I can cultivate and inhabit and lovingly bring into my practice more indifference. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because what are people focused on? They're focused on the results, the thing that's not in their hands. In the same way that spirit's not in your hands, not really. You can't choose to, what's that, that eighth chapter of the uh, Suwen, isn't it? You know, with a, I'm paraphrasing, but the boss level practitioner touches the spirit. I'm sure it's more traditional than that. <laughs> no, no, but I it, think that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. The boss level <laughs> practitioner touches I'm sure the that's spirit. what it says, right? <laughs> the latest translation I looked at, that's what they say. I said, Laobanda, Laobanda, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the we can't really level practitioner. <laughs> it's an important principle for medicine, but it's also an exercise in fruitlessness, because as soon as you start aiming to touch the spirit, you can't, because once again, that's the effect. That's not the cause. That's not something that you have within your power. You can only work on what you're doing and your conditions, and hopefully, if the conditions are correct, then that arises, which I've seen several times in uh, treatments and had done to me. And in each case it was done to me, then there was an involvement, but also a lack of involvement by the practitioner at the same time. And I will say the practitioners that managed that on me weren't 
in-depth scholars that were constantly piling over more complicated theories all the time. They were people that were more focused on developing. Once they had a, a conceptual framework to work to, whatever their system of medicine was, it didn't matter. They had their conceptual framework. Everything they developed after that was the skill or the quality that was built into them that was inherent within whatever treatment they did, mm-hmm. rather than more complex theories, you know. One practitioner I know uses incredibly simplistic theories. It blew my mind when I first met him. I was like, wow, that's all you work to? I said it a little less insultingly than that, I guess. But then when I got to know him, like the most profound, profound treatments and the most profound gentleman with what he's doing, but such simple theory, but his innate skill, his gong is massive within what he's doing. And he touches spirit very often. So there is the what we do in clinic. Mm-hmm. That's the conceptual framework. And we need something like that. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then there's the how we are in what we do. Mm -hmm. Maybe that gets us moving toward that boss level practitioner. And how connected are you to chi? Let's not forget our fundamentals. Like, are you Mm. actually radiating this substance? Are you connected into the stream of chi that's coming from source itself, which all humans have the potential to, but if it's cultivated to a higher degree, that's going to be more of an involvement in the treatments, even if not directly through a needle or something, but just through the space that you're holding, through the aura, of, through your field, through those are incredibly important things. Well, I think should be made a higher, should give a higher importance in Chinese medicine education, personally. I think it should be something that's discussed a lot more. I know some colleges do. I'm aware some colleges do, but most don't. I think is safe to say, certainly not the ones in the UK. So when I hear you talk about she that way, mm. I'm thinking, okay, as human beings, we need to work on our own wiring, our own energetic system, right? Are you running at 120? Can you run at 240? Like how much she can you handle? And also how much you tapped into as well, because there's different sources of chi, right? And the closer you are to a connection to spirit, there's a higher source of chi that that just tends to run through somebody that's it's a little different from how much chi can you cultivate in your channels or in your dantian or whatever go to any sort of high level meditator within hinduism or buddhism or taoism or whatever a very very skilled one sort of very high up they radiate something their field has a magnetic quality that stimulates everything within its space they're rare individuals but it's possible to meet them and they're not cultivators in channel opening cultivators or they're not doing the microcosmic orbit or anything but they've tapped into something through their mindset that radiates out of them and i think that as practitioners i mean that would be awesome if we could tap into a similar kind of quality and i think a lot of this stuff with attention and wu wei and zuran so that something naturally unfolds within us to connect us to source is what causes that energy to radiate out and i think as much as anything that's what enables us to touch spirit so that even with a simple treatment that's based on I don't know, the same principles or protocol that another practitioner might do should create a massive change to somebody's life because of that, because of touching upon spirit. That's my plan anyway. Working on it, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, my suspicion is it's something we're constantly working on. I mean, maybe you hit a point, I don't know, maybe you hit a point where it it just flows. You've had a lot more experience with this kind of cultivation and and being in touch with folks that are like this, I'm thinking for our average practitioner, I'm just an average Joe Mm. and, you know, trying to do the best I can with the work that I've got. So I want to come back to something. It touches on cultivation. I mean, I I get a flavor of what you're talking about here that 
this touching on spirit, it's not really something that you do with your mind, is it? It's, it's something... No. No. Definitely not. But I mean, all human beings have the same components. Might use funny words for it, of course, and people will have their own terms for it. But you all have a body, you all have a mind, everybody has a soul, and everybody has a potential for connection to spirit on a certain level. So the same components are there for all people. So it should be within everybody's capability to touch upon these things. And of course, a teacher can assist, a master can assist. I think being in the presence of somebody who's managed it is always helpful. But still, the work always comes down to us. <laughs> and I, for fear of going around in circles, I think the quality of a person's attention applied very skillfully and stably into the structure of who we are, into our being, into our body, into our mind, is what enables that to unfold within us, to be perfectly honest. I think you could almost throw out all of the scripture and all of the traditions and <laughs> bring it all down to that. Can you apply attention really into the center of your being to see if something will naturally unfold from within the middle of you? And, and I, think that's the key that, I think that's the key to most of it, personally. It sounds doable. For me, so often I hear about certain spiritual practices and I'm thinking, yeah, not me. Number one, that sounds like a lot of work. Okay. Why is that? Well, I don't know. It just, that's what I tell myself. Oh my God, I got to meditate all these hours and I have to live this certain life and eat a certain way and give up my red wine. And I'm not sure I want to do that. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I want to do that. I have to reduce my carbon footprint to become virtuous. And it's like, I like my carbon footprint. I love going places far away. I mean, there's a part of me that just loves being in the world and having this sensate body and enjoying the hell out of it. I don't see where the clash is personally. I mean, maybe because I grew up in this Judeo Christian environment called Western civilization, you know, it's salvational and there's like goodness and badness and sin and virtue and all that kind of stuff. I think the change should come from inside, right? Mm. So, most of the, certainly from the Taoist perspective, the idea of connecting to source until everything back to that idea of Zoran, naturally regulates itself and, and realigns itself and opens it up, should come from, from inside. So while all people should have a moral and ethical code that they adhere to, of course, I think that some of the ideas of purity that people have are beside the point. <laughs> I think they're largely beside the point as much as anything, including dietary choices. For example, I don't think your carbon footprint makes a great deal. I know you were jesting, but makes a great deal of difference too such things as your connection to spirit or soul, particularly within reason. I mean, you don't want to live constantly on burgers and things like that. It's something else. The trimmings are not as important as the connection to the inside. And that's where the chi comes from, to me. It's like this, right? Yeah. Maybe you could say that I think many people are spending a lot of time trying to apply intention to living and the way that they're living rather than applying attention to life. And the difference between the two, if someone can understand it, is what really gives birth to the cultivation, the, to elevate the, the nature of the practitioner, or the nature of the person, really. This is great. We've had a couple of hours of conversation now, in some ways going in circles, maybe spirals. Oops, sorry. <laughs> no, it's great, because this thing, I'm going to say it again, I'm probably going to say it more than once from here on out, this thing about intention mm. in comparison to attention, mm -hmm. I feel like this is really the crux of something important. You know, I feel like a dog that just like found a bone 
just kind of chewing on it. Like, oh, wow, there's something here. There's really something to explore here. To me, it's the crux of all cultivation, all internal cultivation. There's a difference between these two. If you can understand and do, for want of a better word, or none do, apply these two things correctly at the correct time, then to me, that is the core of cultivation. It's why, what do we talk about in many sort of new practices? Mindfulness, sort of contemporary Buddhism or something is very much into this idea, essentially meaning that whatever you're doing, your body or your action or whatever, is full of mind. It's full of your attention. It's full of almost the fluid of your mental construct has to fill that thing. And once it is mindful, then it starts to settle, to calmly abide, and then to unfold into something new. That's where the evolution comes from. But the problem is that our senses are constantly drawn out towards too many things here, there, left, right, center, memory, projections, desires, whatever. So we're not listening. We're sat there chatting away, talking away inside our own head. And whether if I'm talking that, if you were talking to me and I'm talking to you, then I'm not listening to you because I'm talking. But if you're talking and I'm quiet, but I'm thinking, I'm still not listening to you. Mm. It's just I'm talking inside my head instead of talking outside. So you think I'm listening, but I'm not. And that really kind of sums up the mental quality. Well, I can certainly speak for myself that most of my life was the predominant mental quality until I started to really cultivate that quality till it became important to me. And all of a sudden, everything unfolded and everything became more interesting and life became more beautiful and everything I did became, generally, I became better. I became worse at driving, actually. Not sure why, but everything else in my life just kind of started to get better as I cultivated that quality. I don't know why the driving. Are you sure you got worse at driving or did you just notice that you're bad at driving? I heard the people hitting the horns more as I drove past them, I think, yeah, <laughs> than I did before. <laughs> so, attention is a kind of listening. Oh, 100%. Listening is very difficult, right? It's a very hard sense to use, isn't it, listening? Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I can't tell you how many relationships I've had that fell apart because I was told I just don't listen. <laughs> my relationships fell apart because they wouldn't listen to me, Michael. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, isn't it? Say you have some music on, right? And you've got some music that you've listened to many, many times. And maybe it's a favorite piece or something. And it's just there in the background. doesn't matter what it is. And you're not really listening to it. But then sometimes you do, right? You can become embroiled in music. You can listen to it. You can actually find that your awareness gets absorbed into it. And at that stage, it's very emotive. Like the music actually produces feelings, doesn't it? Somatic experiences through the body. You can start to well up and get upset sometimes, or you can, even in music that has no lyrics or anything, you can know the mindset of the person that created or wrote that piece of music. It's like you're stepping into their feelings as you hear it. And to me, that's kind of a model for listening. That's what it is. When the attention is fully applied to something, there's a whole opening up of information that wasn't there to you previously. And if I sit there and analyze the music, the same's not going to happen. I'm not going to think, well, that's to a beat of four and a rhythm of this. And and that's really where the intellect kind of ruins many things. And I think that idea is very applicable to things like medicine in some ways, and certainly diagnosis. <laughs> that sounds right. But I think you're a musician, so you'd know more than me about that. You're a musician, right? I think. My brother is a professional musician. I wouldn't say I'm a musician. I hack around on the guitar a little bit. I would definitely not say I'm a musician. Oh, okay. Okay. No, not at all. Any sense of listening that I've been able to cultivate I think comes through my practice, mm. my practice in medicine. 
just because if you don't listen, you're not going to be able to help people. Yeah. And if you're going back through that database of previous cases in your mind, you're not listening. Yeah. I think the most instructive moments I've had with medicine is when I've actually kind of gone like way off the rails. Sometimes even said something to a patient like, this could actually get me sued or fired by this person. (laughs) But it seems true in the moment and I'm going to say it. Sometimes some extraordinary things have happened. Okay. I'm not trying to brag about like, I've got great insight. This is, I'm not talking about insight. I'm talking about connecting into a, a moment where it's like, holy shit, is this what's happening here? I think it is. Let's throw a pebble in that pond and see what the response is. Yeah, good. That sounds like a highly skilled interaction from a medical practitioner to me. It happens on very rare occasion. That's good, because if you did it often, you get sued or lose your license from the sounds of it. (laughs) Well, you're talking about touching on spirit. I would say I've had, as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing I've had a few moments, Mm. you know, in a spontaneous Ziran kind of way, for whatever reason, those moments have, have arrived. I'm sure, yeah. I get to watch them, but I don't make them. So then the question is, I guess, if for anybody who's practiced a while, is how do we learn to adjust the conditions so that those results, without focused on them, arise more often? Mm -hmm. How do we change the percentage level of them, really? How do we cultivate that condition? How do we cultivate that field? Mm -hmm. And then there's only one answer, which is, unless you did something radically different in your treatment from normal, which I think most of us tend to work within a very, you know, within our own framework, then the only thing that must have been different is us. We're the only major condition or causative factor that could be adjusted so therefore it comes down to us our qualities our cultivation what are we bringing across it's funny isn't it like i might have this wrong but isn't the scientific approach often within studies to take the person effect out as much as anything isn't it to kind of that's the idea yeah yeah whereas chinese medicines we don't want that we want the opposite we want the person effect to be massive we want it to be huge we want it to be 99% of what we're doing. So it almost makes it impossible to apply the same kind of test criteria to both things because the cultivation of the practitioner will mean that their treatment works, whereas an uncultivated practitioner will do the same treatment, but it doesn't necessarily work quite so much because it's working on a different level. It's not the same treatment. It might be the same points. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Same external look of a treatment. if you want, but yeah, different treatment. Yeah. It gets really woogity really fast. Like weird, like watery, like it's a made up word. (laughs) Like unstable and weird. Strange. But not weird for the purpose of being weird, just weird, like non-ordinary weird. Chinese medicine is weird, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've never understood why I always had a difficulty, especially when I was at university, not nothing against the university or that, but it was very scientifically minded and their whole obsession was making it, we've got to be taken seriously by doctors. It's like, why? I don't talk to doctors. The whole mindset was just a very clinical, it's like the, the treatment room has to look like a clinic room so that we look like faux doctors and the, the mindset has to be very much about scientific and we have to look at studies, see how this works. I'd never understood it at all because I'd already studied Chinese medicine prior to a Western education in it, where I was always taught that your cultivation was the most important. What are you able to bring forward in your treatments? 
and then going to this sort of very clinical scientific base of Chinese medicine almost killed my skill. It took me like two or three years to get it back after the education I had because I had to get out of that white clinical coat mindset into how do I get my cultivation back? And then I nearly ruined it again, gone off on a side tangent here, by then trying to study another system of Chinese medicine that was very cerebral. And the more cerebral I became, the less able I was to apply my attention because now I was looking at charts and figuring out this, that, and the other. It just ruined it again. And I realized that the cultivation that I was trying to develop and the skill set or, or the practitioner I was trying to turn into was diametrically opposed to a lot of the kind of systems or constructs that other people were trying to apply onto me when they were teaching me. And I think that's a big problem in medicine. Well, there's a lot of different ways to think about Chinese medicine. And, you know, look, fair enough, there's a lot of different ways to be in the world. So if you're a kind of person who, like, really grooves on research, yeah, and you practice Chinese medicine, and you want to be working in that, let's say, more conventional medicine setting, because it's like your groove for whatever reason. Yep. Like, okay, fair enough. Like, you're that kind of animal. Like, go do that. I suspect those people will do quite well, because that's their environment. Mm -hmm. That's where they get their chi. That's where they want to be. And then you got other characters. I work out of my home these days because I decided I no longer needed a medical-looking office to be viable in my own mind. Yes. Just dropped away. Been really happy with that. I couldn't have done it previously because I needed that prop. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I didn't need the prop. I had other options in life. Hey, work out of your home. Okay. My patients love it. So I think there's something about like you know who we are and we're back to this, like who we are how we are. Yes. So there needs to be space for the cultivators, for the people that are interested in that side of it. There needs to be room for them to grow and freedom from that kind of constriction. Obviously, everybody needs a conceptual model at first. Of course, they do. But mm -hmm. it's like almost like there's a schism in Chinese medicine that's unavoidable that kind of needs to be there. You almost have two different types of practitioners. But it kind of has to be that way, really. Maybe even more than two different types. Oh, sure. I've oversimplified it, I'm sure. But <laughs> but yeah, and I, and I want to dig into this just a little bit, and then I want to talk a little bit more about cultivation. I want to get back to Dantian in particular. Sure, yeah. Sticking a pin in that. But yes, I know that there's a, a big push to try, at least here in the States, to kind of codify it and medicalize it and all of that. And for people that want to practice that way, fine. For people that don't want to practice that way, Yes. do we even care? Yeah, 100%. That's long been my argument. So people say, well, they don't take you seriously. You're a Chinese medicine. I don't care. That's all right. There's enough people that are still happy to come to me that want that kind of treatment. It's, I don't know why they think everybody lives in this Western scientific mindset, because I don't think that's true. That's not my experience of people. I think there's a whole repertoire and spectrum of people out there that are looking for different things. In Europe, it's the same as America. And I think people are shooting themselves in the foot because if the European acupuncturists ever managed to, through scientific studies, successfully prove that acupuncture works as a scientific thing, all that will happen is they'll make it so only doctors can do it and then all the acupuncturists won't be able to practice anymore. <laughs> I mean, part of the strength of being able to practice is nobody believes it's real. So therefore, it's not as regulated as a Western medical thing. I, it's like turkeys voting for Christmas. <laughs> watching it happen at the moment. That is hilarious. Be careful what you wish for. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. Better off to be seen as a fringe thing and, and the people that want to do that thing come and see you. I think that's fair enough. And then there's a group of others that want to work in hospitals and do pain reduction and probably addiction stuff and more power to them, more power to them. But it's personally, I think it's better for the individual, better for the practitioner, but I'm biased. If there's room for them to apply what I'm talking about, this idea of cultivation and these qualities, these mental qualities and this connection to something that isn't scientific or isn't scientifically understood, which is qi or shen, these things are not understood scientifically. And to allowable this to grow as the kind of core of what we're doing as practitioners, which I think is important and I think is very traditional. I think that's how medicine was, Chinese medicine was. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, and I think it's a, a big factor in how our medicine works and how we can be effective. Yeah as practitioners. Mm -hmm. Look, a lot of people that walk in our door are walking in because the Western conventional system did not help them. Yeah. It might have even harmed them. Yes. So they're not looking for more of what already didn't work. There's that. I know for myself, I have this kind of, I want to know how it works mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. And one of the things I find very like, delightfully enticing about Chinese medicine is that part of my mind doesn't get to come along. I mean, it comes along a little bit, but there's this other part of me yeah. where I can look at it and go, you know what? When my patients say, you know, this acupuncture is weird. And, and instead of going like, well, not really. Here, look at this and this study and blah, blah, blah. Instead of that, I can go, oh yeah, you think Chinese medicine's weird. Let me tell you, it is. And it's even weirder than you think it is. It is weird. Yeah, I get that mindset. <laughs> And it's non-linear and it's non-rational. Yes. And that's not its weakness. That's its strength. Yeah, agreed. Exactly. You put it far more succinctly than I manage, that's for sure. That's what I don't understand, why people can't see its strength is in the thing that is almost unexplainable. The Taoists would call it the unnameable, that which cannot be described. It's a thing that arises. You can't quantify and scientifically describe Tao. I thought that was the point. That's the thing that I think as a cultivator you're trying to touch upon in the treatment as much as anything, not nerve complexes and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, that might be there. Those are echoes. Look, when we're talking about Taoism, and you know a lot more about it than I do, I read the first line of the Tao Te Ching, 
right? Dao ka dao, fei chang dao. The dao that can be named is not the true dao. And I'm thinking, all right, this is the book on the dao. It's already an impossible task. The first line says, this is an impossible task. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say forget it. It just says it's impossible. Can I break that line down? Would you mind if I broke that line down? Yeah, break it down. You know, I look at it and it's such an invitingly thorny contradiction. Well, to me, it's exactly what we're speaking about here, because when the Taoists said something is named, what they were talking about as much as anything is meditation and objects within the mind. Say you have an experience, a feeling inside the body, something, how about something rising up and making me hot and I feel something moving in my chest and then there's a pressure in my head. And you probably had that as a kid a few times. And then by the third or fourth time, you realized, oh, that's anger. That's what I now label as anger. I have named that sensation anger. And then the funny thing is that in the future, the more you name that thing anger, you no longer feel those feelings anymore. Instead, you skip the feeling, you skip the rising up and the pressure in the head, and you just go, anger, now there's anger. Now what happens is increasingly you are less able to feel a wide spectrum of experiences because more and more things become categorized under that heading of what you've called anger, if you get what I mean. So similar experiences feel like anger as well. They're all labeled. That's what the Taoists call the named. So the implication is the Tao or the path to cultivation that can be named is not the true and everlasting path to cultivation. That's what the first line of the Tao Te Ching means. The implication being you have to take your intellect out of the way and you have to take your intention out of the way. And only when you're purely applying attention, then you will find the path to Tao. And that's the first line of the Tao Te Ching. So to me, that's the core of all of cultivation and, and the core of meditation and the core of Chinese medicine and summed up in that, that one pithy little line of a few characters. I think it's very good. I like that line. But it's very different from how it's often interpreted if you can't talk about Tao, which is, I'm not sure that what they mean. Looking at it as the recognition that we have these mental constructs, mm. and then we skip the experience and go directly to the construct. I know what that is. It's named. I know what it is. Oh, this is that. This is why it's hard to let new ideas in or even like to market something, right? Good marketers, if they've got something really brilliant, they don't tell you they have something brilliant. They say it's like this, but different in this way. They give you something to hook it onto because they understand the Tao Te Ching. And it's why life gets more difficult as you get older, isn't it? Like a lot of people, or people who struggle, I know a lot of us, mm. it's not the case, but if someone is struggling with their emotions, say someone's angry, right? And you've got someone in your clinic and they're very cross and it's destroying their life and it's very difficult. And maybe every time they argue with their partner or their intimate loved one, it's, it's blown out of all proportion. The reason is because every time they get angry, they're experiencing all of the angry memories they've ever had all the way going back to childhood. So sometimes you'll argue with someone and you realize they're not arguing with you. They're arguing with you and everybody you remind them of for the last 40 years. So all of that rage all comes out in one go. And that's the same. It's because it's been labeled and it's been named and it's not really being seen with attention in its truest, honest form. And that to me is a what needs to happen. People need to break these ideas down and lose that labeling. And the same with regards to your, that's an example of how somebody might be emotionally upset, but it's the same with our learning. And it's the same with our, our cases and the experiences we've had before and, and what we've inadvertently felt and thought was chi and what other people have told was chi. And, and all of these ideas need to go because they're not the way to the true and everlasting Tao. They're not the way to cultivation. Too many ideas. All these ideas need to go. Yeah. Oh, Demo, I love my ideas, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you'll never truly forget them. You'll only allow them to slip into the subconscious so the front part of your mind can think free of their taint, <laughs> their distortion. Lovely. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of other routes that we could go with this. I'm thinking all this stuff these days. Trauma is such a big thing. I don't want to go down that path. I just want to put a pin in it. Trauma is a big business these days. And it just seems to me that this cultivation of attention could be very helpful in dealing with what we call trauma. Do I have a handle on that? Does that sound right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. A huge thing, right, these days? It's a big business right now. And there's no logic to it either, really, is there? I mean, I get myself in trouble for saying that with trauma, but I mean, these days people are traumatized because something happened to them. And we say life is the most stressful life we've ever lived, and this is a very stressful age. And I think that's true. I think there's a very high level of trauma and stress in people. But then if you think about it logically, it is weird because, I mean... Several hundred years ago, the neighboring village, because you marched into your village, burnt it to the ground, slaughtered all the men, stole all the women, and then your kids could have died of the plague. Like it was a much more sort of objectively difficult age for a lot of people back then. But there's something about us in this age that creates a lot of difficulty and trauma for us. It's like as life becomes generally more pleasant, our experience of life becomes more unpleasant, as far as I can make out. So it, there's a very big contradiction there. But there is. Yeah, but I'm not denying that people are very stressed and very traumatized, definitely not. But you see what I mean about the human condition? It's very bizarre. Yes, I do. And, and in fact, okay, I might be touching the third rail here. We might get canceled. I want to say this anyway. Again. I hear a lot these days about microaggressions. And I'm thinking back when I was a kid, I was not worried about microaggressions. I was worried about macroaggressions, like someone actually coming and punching me in the face. Not that they look at me crossly. Sure. And I don't want to take away from that people have experiences and it goes deep and it's troublesome for them, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there is something here about as life gets better, it doesn't mean that we have less trouble. Maybe we just have different kinds of trouble. I think it's because we're too clever. I think that's really all it is. I think intellectually we've become too clever. So what happens is we're far better at labeling something, right? like the naming, like the Tao Te Ching is saying. Mm, mm, so mm. therefore, when I have an unpleasant experience, I can say, that's bad. And that's instantly, that microaggression, if, if I've used the word rightly, is then combined with all of the other microaggressions in my memory to become a macroaggression if you want it. All of a sudden, it gets blown out of all proportion because we're constantly categorizing and comparing things with other things. And that's not to take away from someone who's actually had something really terrible happen to them. Of course, those things happen. But I don't think it's the majority. I think the majority of us were too cerebral. The more cerebral you are, the less attentive you are to your body. And realistically, the less likely you are to ever let anything go. Because your memory and your intellect are going to store things very, very efficiently. Whereas if someone spends time with their body attentively and releasing, then it can let many of these things go. More in the head, more stuck. That's how I see it. Could be totally wrong. Could be wrong, but you know what? Demo, it's worth investigating, isn't it? I mean, it's least worth investigating. Mm. So I want to turn to that for a moment. Last time we spoke, you were talking about being having a practice of soaking the attention into the body. Yeah. You were talking about a practice of cultivating the Dantian, something we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. But you were saying, well, actually, you don't have a Dantian until you cultivate a Dantian. So could we take a few minutes and talk about cultivating the Dantian and some practice, maybe some direction, pointers, tips. I don't know. 
instruction, glimpse at how we can begin to turn our attention inward like that, developed the Dantian, which sounds like it's helpful for the attention and the chi. Yep. I mean, they call it turning the light around is the sort of basis of the practice, which once again is that the attention has to be reversed and brought into the body. But there's a thing as well. There's a stage before getting the Dantian to consolidate, to sidestep that a little bit, is that within any art like Qigong or Tai Chi, the first thing that has to happen, or anything we are cultivating a Dantian, I guess, is the first thing we have to happen is the internal body, as we call it, has to wake up. It has to come to life. The internal body has to wake up. If the internal body is not woken up, then cultivating the Dantian is very, very tricky. And what I mean by making the internal body it's very hard to how to do this really succinctly. Okay, so external body. What does it mean? Most people have heard it internal and external arts, haven't they, as a categorization. Mm-hmm. External would be, it's not to do with the depth because most external would be your skin, wouldn't it? External means you function according to leverage, contraction of muscles and leverage of bones. So very standard body mechanics. When you want to move, the muscles contract and you lift something up. That would be the external body. So external martial arts use that, sports, going to the gym, going for a walk, whatever uses external mechanics. Internal mechanics is different. Internal mechanics means that your mind has soaked enough into all of the spaces and connective tissues of your body that they start to come alive. So teachers will talk about dead flesh and live flesh. And what they mean by live flesh is that now the internal side is woken up. So it means that as my chi moves through either release or attention, that all of those little spaces open up and all of the little elastic stretches. So you no longer function according to leverage and contraction. You function according to release and expansion. And as you do that, a lot of the body's, for want of a better term, factories of chi start to turn on. So your body starts to produce a lot more bioelectrical energy. And that's what we need to send down to the lower abdominal space initially to put into the Dantian. So we have to wake up the internal body first would be the stage that comes before that. And and all of the, not just people who've taught me, but the people I would consider peers, you know, people that I I really respect their skill set that are separate to my school or separate to what they do, would all agree with me. Then they've been through a similar process. And the first part of it is getting your mind to fill your body. That's really what it comes down to. It's like your body is a sponge and your mind is water and that water has to fill every single nook and cranny And when it goes into every little tiny space of the body, then the internal body starts to wake up. You become buoyant and everything stretches and there's a lot more energy production within your system. So that's step one. So I often see people sort of trying to do Tai Chi or Qigong or anything like this, but I can see that they're already going to be a little bit glass ceilinged quite often because they haven't got the internal body turned on. They're still functioning according to leverage. And that has to change first. So yeah, hopefully that's not too much of a digression, a sidetrack, but that to me is step one. And then the next step after that would be then to draw in the outer shell of the the field because your Dantian is dispersed. It's like a bucket with holes in it is normally how I describe it. And we have to consolidate that field. So it's like a magnetic field that has to squeeze in the abdomen. And that's what starts to consolidate the Dantian essentially. You need a container before you can put much in it Mm. is the idea. How is it this Dantian is so important, and yet it's a bucket with holes? Oh, you had it when you were younger. Kids have it. Envy the uh, 
systems of young children because they definitely have it. It's consolidated in their abdomen. And then for some reason, I don't know why, something around, I've had teachers, I know teachers who've given me theories for it. They're not totally satisfactory. So I leave it as one of those unanswered questions for me at the moment. Around puberty, the dantien seems to disperse. In most people, it spreads. It's like it's done its job. Well, that's my slightly woolly conclusion. I always think that when you're growing, you need an abundance of energy, right? So it's kind of stored there in the abdomen, moving out into the system. And as you slow down with your growing process, it's not really needed anymore. So the dantian just kind of disperses a little bit and you start to function in a, in a different way. It's part of the movement from shantian uh, to hotian, as they call it, within the body. So reconsolidating the dantian for cultivators or qigong practitioners or Chinese medicine practitioners is the first step of returning to being like a child or returning to youth is often a phrase you hear within Chinese teachings. And step one of that really is to get the dantian consolidated back to your sort of prepubescent energy store within the abdominal space. Is that all right? Yeah. I mean, for the moment it is. I mean, there's a lot here and I suspect over on your website, you go into exquisite detail with this because this is what you do and this is some of what you teach. So anally retentively frustratingly high levels of detail yeah it would drive you insane great so <laughs> I, I might have to go dig into more of that but yeah th this is satisfying for the moment and, and what's really helpful demo and thank you is that reminder it's not this is not the first time i've heard this sometimes i have to come at things multiple times from multiple directions before it gels in a certain way but that dao kadao fei chang dao the concepts in the mind so get in the way of having an experience of life. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You know, there's points on the body that consolidate the dantian to a certain extent as well. So for example, when you're the mechanism behind um, sort of Ren6 Qi high or something, part of the reason that it tonifies the Qi so effectively is because when you tonify the needle in that area, it actually causes the field to tighten a little bit in the abdominal space, which is why sometimes patients will feel a little bit sort of drawn in, won't they, after you've done a treatment down in that area but it's drawing the field in the magnetic field pulls in a little bit and as it does that it consolidates the chi in the abdomen and that's what gives a boost through the body so we have kind of vague sort of external ways we can assist people health-wise with it energy-wise with it and there's a few points on the body that do the same but we're just trying to take that further through something like nagong or qigong practice soaking the mind into the body okay that sounds like something i can work on yeah anyone can do that <laughs> yeah, it just takes a little practice, right? A little practice and a little attention. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> My students get sick of hearing it. Great. Well, I appreciate you sitting down for another conversation so quickly after the last one. I may have more annoying questions later, I'll let you know. But for now, I think this is probably a good place to wind it down. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much for asking me back. I was always told it's the sign of success to be invited a second time, not the first time. So, <laughs> <laughs> depends on what you're aiming at. All right. Thanks so much, Nemo. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today.
Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.